Hello. Due to some minor technical difficulties, this week's sermon had a few audio dropouts. Edits have been made to this recording so you can listen without interruption. We apologize for the inconvenience and hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for listening. God of the universe, would you be with us now and give us minds to comprehend what you want to teach us. Give us hearts to embrace all that you will offer. Send us your spirit so that we could be faithful creatures, faithful disciples. We pray, we pray, leaning on your mercy and asking through the kindness of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we're going to kind of where we left off. Before Christmas, we were working through a series uh, called Change Known Sin, capturing some of the emphases of our, what we believe is God's calling for us, our mission as a church. And if you'll look on the front of your worship guide, you'll see uh, our mission statement, loving our community life by pursuing gospel restoration. And uh, if you look in the second paragraph there, you'll, you'll see a definition of that word gospel. What do you mean by gospel? Gospel is the good news. Uh, the most glorious purposes of God's heart are revealed and fulfilled and accessible through the gift and sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. That is what we believe as a Christian congregation, and that fuels our sense of who we are and what God has called us to be and to do. If you'll notice the next sentence in that statement, it impacts three powerful impacts that we believe Jesus has on the world, on us and through us on the world. First, transforming the hearts and minds of individuals. That's changed. Second, creating a new type of community among those who have faith in Jesus. Known. And then empowering us to serve our neighbors, our culture, and our world. We are sent. So three words to capture so much of what we believe about Jesus and who he is, what he does in the world, and therefore what he has called us to be and to do in the world as a local congregation. So we're spending time unpacking that. If you'll notice, all of that is meant to offset some brokenness. That gospel is good news, preceding paragraph has a lot of bad news in it. The bad news is that there's a lot, of, a lot in this world that's broken. We list a few things there, broken relationships between God and man, broken relationships between God and his creation, broken relationships between creation and humanity, and broken relationships between man and man. Many times those broken relationships among human beings uh, fracture along lines of culture and ethnicity, race, nationality, language, educational background, you name it. We distance ourselves from each other. We wall ourselves off from one another. We become hostile to each other. That's the bad news. The good news is God has the power to heal what is broken. We're going to hear that reflected in this morning's scripture reading. Now we have guests here with us today, 
uh, probably many more than I know about, but some of whom I know are, are Jewish friends and neighbors who are from Sheriff Israel congregation. And um, why in the world would you choose to, to preach from the book of Revelation <laughs> when you have Jewish friends visiting? I don't know. I'm silly that way, I suppose. Now, re- really, we're just being who we are. And so let me at least take a moment to paint some, sketch some background. Um, this is a book of visions, visions that were given in, in the sort of in the tradition of the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Daniel, visions of the future to give hope to people who were being persecuted in the first century in what we call Turkey today. First century Christians being persecuted for their faith by the Roman Empire, visions given to them for their encouragement and ours. And the vision that has just been seen in Revelation chapter 5 is a vision of God seated on his throne. Actually, the text is humble. It doesn't say we've seen God, it says we've seen his throne. And at his right hand, in his right hand, is a scroll. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. The scroll represents sort of the future that should unfold according to God's purposes and promises. A future in which there's healing and hope and reconciliation. But that scroll and that future are sealed tight. And in the vision, an angel asks a question. Is there anyone who is worthy? Break those seals. Anyone who's worthy? There is now brokenness. The answer is yes. And so, sing and to shout. Who's singing? Who's shouting? Elders representing the leaders of the people of God and living beings, borrowing some symbols from the book of Ezekiel. They begin to shout and sing and celebrate that God is healing. What is broken? So James is going to come now and read for us from Revelation 5, the contents of that song. The scripture reading from this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open it because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. And ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Do you remember being in school and um, forgetting everything over Christmas break? And you get back the first week and it's like, I don't remember any of it. Um, this is kind of one of those mornings and I get it. Right? We're, we're reaching back to things that we learned before Christmas. So how about a little bit of review as we get ready to dive in this morning? Changed. We talked for several weeks about what it means that because, because of what Jesus is doing to, to change people, transform lives, we want to be a church where we pursue life-changing encounters with God and with his grace. And we want to do that in some very practical ways, drawing close to him through prayer. We took a week to talk about what it means to worship in a way that ignites passion for Christ. And, and then a, another week talking about what it means to discover life-changing power of this good news about Jesus in the scriptures, in God's word. Known. Well, because of what Jesus is doing to create new community among his people, we want to be the kind of church that pursues relationships, community, that are authentic and caring. We don't want to just talk about that in generic ways. We want to we want to commit to some specifics, connecting through warmth and safety, vulnerability. We took a week to talk about what it means to grow together in small groups, more intimate settings than this. What does it mean that we care for each other in times of need? And so today, after Christmas, we're back for the break. We've forgotten everything. <laughs> Review. And now we'll move forward and take three weeks to talk about what does it mean that we are a people who are sent that Jesus empowers us to love, serve our neighbors, our culture, our world. What are we going to do about that practically? What are we committing ourselves to as a congregation? What do we think God has called us to? There are a billion ideas. We can't do them all. We are finite. So we're going to commit to a few of those. And here's the first one today. We'll talk about the fact that that we want to be a church where we pursue cross-cultural friendships and service. That's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. I now have to pause for a moment and fight back an objection. Maybe your mind doesn't go here, but mine sometimes does. It says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The only reason we're saying this is because the culture around us is saying it. I mean, in 21st century Atlanta, inside the perimeter, this is a pretty safe thing to say, right? I mean, I'm fairly, I know Ari well enough, my, my friend Rabbi Ari Kamen. Thanks for being with us today. We're so glad to have Sheriff friends here with us today. Ari would, he says this all the time. He lives this, he does it. This is not something unique to being a Christian. So, so there's a part of my mind that says, stop. Stop trying to make your Christian faith sound better by, by embracing our cultural values and trying to take them over. Right? You can imagine people, part of our culture, saying, stop it. Don't do that. And you may not be able to imagine this, but I can. I can imagine Christian people saying, stop. Stop, stop compromising our Christian faith by, by bringing in and watering it down with these cultural values. 
So whether you're saying it from one perspective or the other, there's a tendency to say the only reason Christian churches are talking about these things right now is because our culture is. So stop. I want to push back on that a little bit. Can I push back? I want to push back with something I learned recently reading. Now, I know this is going to sound weird. We are nerds. I was reading a book about a very obscure 16th century Italian theologian by a woman named Andrea Ferrari. Do that for fun sometimes. She said this. She was talking about something that happened in the second century in the Christian church and a particular cultural phenomenon that was going on around the church and how the church spoke into it. And she summed it up and there was this beautiful phrase. I want to get it right, so I'm going to read it. She, she said that, that what was happening in the culture compelled the church to express more clearly what she already believed. Right? That, that's part of our history. That's part of our history as a Christian people over centuries. Is that we're not afraid to learn from what God is doing in the larger world. And sometimes things going on in the culture around us prompt us to dig in again to our own scriptures and to say, you know what? This is something we should have always been holding high. This is something we always believed. So if I say that we as a church ought to pursue friendship across cultural barriers and opportunities to serve, that, that that's... That's something we have always treasured and believed. We haven't always treasured it well. We haven't always practiced it. We have failed in many ways. But this is part of who we are. So today we just, we want to dive into that and experience that from Scripture. I'll start here by saying this. One of the reasons that we pursue cross-cultural friendship and service is because it honors God's good purposes, Purposes that have been in his world since he created it. This is not a new idea. It's not a 21st century concept. It's not a product of secularism or humanism. The notion that Christian believers ought to be actively seeking relationships with people who are not like us in culture and background and race, ethnicity, you name it. We ought to be doing that because it's, it honors God's purposes. Think of Genesis one twenty eight. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's program from creation meant the whole world being filled with all kinds of people in all kinds of places, people whose culture could never be the same because I'm sorry if you grow up near the Arctic Circle, your culture is going to be very different from somebody who grows up near the equator. Fill the earth. This notion that... that that somehow we, we ought to be expanding this network of relationships that involves all kinds of people is rooted in God's purposes. Think of Genesis chapter 22 and what God says to Abraham. Through you, through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. It's not a New Testament idea. Right? It's not a brand new idea in the 21st century. It wasn't a brand new idea in the 1st century. This is part of God's purposes since, well, since there was a sense. 
And even the way that this song in Revelation is described as a new song, right? These living creatures and elders, they sing a new song. There's a new song sung in Isaiah 52. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. That follows God saying to his people, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. To fulfill these purposes, we need God to take the first step, and he has. He has said, this is my purpose. My purpose is that my people would fill the earth. My purpose is that my people would be light for every nation. My purpose is that my people would build relationships that transcend barriers of ethnicity and nationality and culture. It's hard to be a light to people when you're a stranger to them. Hard to be a blessing to all nations if you aren't friends with people of all nations. So God has taken the first step. These are his purposes. We take the next step by building, building relationships across cultural boundaries. How do you do that? Well, one, uh, one friend here in Atlanta, it's a pastor named Leonce Crump, if you know him, an African-American uh, man. He says, well, you can't start with Sunday at 11 o'clock. You have to start with Saturday at 6. What does he mean by that? That some, sometimes Christians sort of, you know, you know, the common saying that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in our country. A lot of truth to that. Leonce says, yeah, but if we want to change that, look at 6 o'clock on a Saturday night. Who are we hanging We're not spending time with friends all the time who are different from us. It's going to be really hard to be this kind of community of people where all nations experience blessing, where it's, where it's just natural to build relationships with people who aren't like us, right? So Leon's talking about this just to say, don't, don't win it all on 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Let's think about what we're doing at 6 o'clock on we honor what Jesus has done when we do this? Again, that, that kind of voice that says, look, pastor, look, Christians, you're, you're just interested in this concept because you're trying to keep up with the culture and you're trying not to seem irrelevant. Okay, I hear it. But guess what? Our scriptures say this is something we have always believed. It is something to which we should have always been committed. It is something we should have always been practicing. Even if we haven't, we should have been. This is something that honors what Jesus has done. Listen to what our text said. Do, do, remember the picture, right? There are creatures praising the one who is seated on the throne. There are creatures praising the Lamb. Every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. All the creatures singing glory to the Lamb forever and ever. And when they start singing, they're adding their voices to all these angels. 10,000 times 10,000. Actually, the math is not right. The Greek text says 
Myriads of myriads. A myriad is 10,000. Myriads. So multiples of 10,000 times multiples of 10,000. The smallest possible number of angels in this vision is 400 million. What in the world should prompt every creature in heaven and earth and the sea and 400 million plus angels to shout, worthy is the lamb. What did the lamb ever do that made him so worthy? And listen to what the text says. Oh, he died for us to save our souls so that we could go to heaven. That is not what the text says. That is not what the text says. Let's read the text Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's not a side comment. That is not sort of extra filler and fluff. That is the core reason that this vision given to God's people in the first century says that every creature ought to sing praise to the Lamb. That more angels than you could imagine should shout to the glory of Jesus precisely because when it came time to ransom people, he ransomed all kinds of people. He ransomed people from every language group, every ethnicity, every kind of cultural background. Jesus didn't simply come to build relationships with people like me. What Jesus did was omni-ethnic in its impact. And the church should always have been treasuring this and practicing it. And we haven't always. But there's good news. God heals what's broken. And if we've been broken in our response to this good news, God can heal it. And he can make us the kind of people who now say, oh, it looks like one of the implications of what Jesus has done is Surely we ought to be building friendships with people who may not share our faith, people who may not share our educational background, people who may not share our language, may not share our race, our cultural background. When we do that, we're honoring what Jesus has done. Wow, that's part of who we are. Jesus ransomed people. The implication is they needed to be ransomed. All kinds of people were slaves, and Jesus bought them out of slavery. Slaves to what? Slaves to this tendency to say, our way is better than yours. That breaks our relationship with God when we look at God and say, you know what, God, thanks for the advice on how to live, but our way is better than yours. It fundamentally breaks our relationship with him. Jesus ransoms us out of that. And when we look at each other and say, our way is better than yours, it breaks the relationships this way too. Part of the good news for us as believers in Jesus, Jesus has ransomed us from that too. He's come to heal all of the relationships that have been broken By that tendency, our traditional way to describe it is to use the language of sin. Another way to talk about it is simply saying, 
We look at other people, we look at God, and we say, our way is better than yours. Jesus, in his crucifixion, bore the curse that that kind of cosmic treachery deserves. And in his resurrection, and in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death so that what has been broken can be rejoined. Body and spirit can be rejoined. God and humanity can be reconnected. The divided human race can be reunited. And this is why we say it is core to our identity as Christians to honor what Jesus has done by pursuing friendships and relationships with people from every tribe and language and people and nation. This means that we are called to to do what I want to describe this morning as creating a third category. Now, already this morning, some of you heard me do a little bit of singing. I couldn't think about friendship, our our topic in our Sunday morning life group this morning. I can't think about friendship without James Taylor, you got a friend going, I mean, it's the soundtrack for friendship, right? I can't think about friendship without lean on me starting to happen in my head. And so you saw that over Christmas time, I couldn't think about some of those events surrounding the birth of Jesus without thinking of some of this classic artwork. Well, today, in thinking about a third category, I couldn't keep myself from thinking (laughs) about a meme. The angry woman yelling at cat meme. And if you don't understand, I am sorry. Right? But this... This meme assumes two categories exist in the world. And the woman sees things from the one category and the cat wants to push back and create a second category. So the woman says, one of my favorites is, uh, the woman says, it's a necktie. And the cat says, it's a noose. (laughs) Right? It's a necktie or it's a noose. They see it from very different perspectives. Luke sent us one that was funny, right? Only a grammar guitarist nerd could say, you know, the woman is shouting, I said no more guitars. And the cat responds, says, I said no more guitars. (laughs) And that's what the world feels like a whole lot of times. It feels like there's this kind of shouting match going on between two categories of people. I'm going to describe One category is moralists and the other as humanists. And the moralists are people who take their faith very seriously. And they tend to be very mean-spirited and narrow-minded and, frankly, bigoted. For all their emphasis on morality, they seem to be very immoral. And if they're Christians, then they're Their philosophy is something like Jesus is central and anybody who disagrees is devalued. I said Jesus. Get your wrong. You're dismissed, you're devalued, you're you're demeaned. I take my faith in Jesus seriously, therefore, I take you less seriously. And then there's a second category, humanists. Open-minded, thoughtful people, very tolerant and kind, affirming. 
But often, if there's any tension between this person's faith and the values of a secular culture around them, they're going to minimize that tension, often by softening the faith commitment. So if this person is Christian, then their perspective sounds something like, yeah, there's something else that shares central place in my life with Jesus. And when there's tension between that something else and Jesus, Jesus doesn't win out. The something else does. Jesus gets dismissed. And sometimes we we feel like those are the only two options. Like either you're this immoral, bigoted kind of Christian that's shouting and angry all the time and you take your faith very seriously, so seriously that you hurt other people or you're this kind of laid back, easygoing. Mike isn't following me today. (laughs) The the other kind of Christian is, is the kind of Christian who would not take their faith so seriously and good because that'll make them more kind and tolerant and loving. There's a third category. Jesus has the power to create a third category. See, you can be angry by the power of human strength alone. You do not need God's power to become an angry person. And you can be tolerant and affirming and nice on the power of human commitment alone. You don't need God to change you to make you just not bigoted. But if we want to create a third category where we can say it's precisely because of our faith in Jesus and how serious and central it is that we refuse to be angry, judgmental, narrow-minded is precisely because we take our faith in him so seriously that we refuse to dismiss or devalue or belittle anyone. It's precisely because Jesus is leading us toward the fulfillment of God's purposes in which his people should be a blessing to every nation. It's precisely because we take that so seriously and refuse to back away from it That we want to be people who pursue friendship across boundaries and barriers. It's not, we don't have to choose. Sacrifice love for the sake of Jesus. Sacrifice Jesus for the sake of love. Jesus is powerful enough to create a third category to enable us to do Hold those things together. One of the reasons I believe that is because of a man named David Calhoun. And if you know David Calhoun, some of you in the room do, you'll know why I say that. David is, I'll be kind and say he's several decades older than I am. Uh, He's battled cancer for over 20 years, so he looks... He looks older than he is. He is a man who has learned how to love and befriend people across all kinds of boundaries. He taught at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis for decades, and he was kind of the unofficial sponsor of the African-American student group on campus. David is a white man 
who grew up in the 50s and 60s in rural South Carolina as part of the Southern Presbyterian Church, a church that often turned a blind eye, not just to the Civil Rights Movement or to Jim Crow before it, but even reaching back further to slavery itself. He had every opportunity to grow up being the angry Christian. And yet, if there was a Covenant Seminary faculty member taking a guest preaching role at a Korean church, who was it? It was David Calhoun. If there was a Covenant Seminary faculty member who, was, um, who had served so faithfully the African-American community that he was named honorary assistant pastor of discipleship in a local African-American church, who was it? It was David Calhoun. David loved Jesus more than he loved being from South Carolina. He loved belonging to Jesus more than he loved being a Presbyterian. He loves Jesus more than he loves being a member of a majority culture. And more than that, he has always believed and taught others to believe that Jesus has enough power to create that third category. This is what we are called to do and who we are called to be. The way Dr. Calhoun had that impact on my life was not by pulling me aside and giving me lectures about these things. It was by meeting with me once a week to drink tea and then talking about whatever came up. He taught me to pursue friendship by pursuing friendship. He had every reason to be a different kind of person. Every reason to look down at me from another generation having grown up different than he did as someone who's not a follower of Jesus. He had every reason to just, no, push me aside. He did Why? He's part of what Jesus is doing. He's part of what Jesus is doing to transform the world. The same Jesus who fulfilled God's purpose that his people would be a blessing to every nation by ransoming people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In town. Let's be who we are.